if we can quiet the noise of the outside world of all of the socialization of the woulds and the shoulds and the supposed tos and the expectations, and we can find our North Star within ourselves, that we can very loudly hear what our purpose is and what also then simultaneously brings us joy in how we show up in the world. And for me, it has always been this. Among many titles that Weez holds, she is an anti-racism educator, a podcast host, an advocate for change, and calls herself a compassionate provocateur. She's kind, she's direct, informed, and aware, and she lives her life full of intention. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots that we make in order to keep moving forward. One of the hardest decisions that Weez had to make was getting a divorce. She realized that in order to make her marriage work, she was going to have to play small. She explains that this was no fault on his part, but really made Weez dig deep within herself and ask what it was that she needed from this life. It really forced her to start analyzing the social conditioning that she and her partner had both brought into the marriage. She had to start asking herself the soul-deep kinds of questions. Rebuilding her life required her to deconstruct and then reconstruct the identities that she'd formed. She needed to start giving herself permission to say no. In this episode, Weez shares some really thought-provoking perspectives on the decisions that she's had to make and consider while having melanated skin. Her life experiences, knowledge, and ability to bring heavy subjects to the surface of everyday conversations make Weez an absolute force. We jump right into the conversation talking about pivotal moments in Weez's life. It's interesting, like when people ask me like, what are like some pivotal moments in your life? Or like, how did you get here? How did you become the person that you are? Um, if you would ask me a couple of years ago, you know, I would have talked about like childhood development stuff. I would have talk, talked about like generational trauma. I would have talked about like kind of all these pivotal moments that I had in middle school, uh, high school, shit, even college. Um, I have like a fairly wild story, even from college that really kind of like catalyzed the work that I do now. But now that, you know, I'm 35 and I like look back at life, <laughs> um, I really kind of attribute who I am right now in this present moment and how I got here and how I made a lot of the decisions to allow myself to be this person authentically all the time to what, 20, 2015. Okay. So in 2015, I had to make the really hard decision to uh, get a divorce from a man that I had been with for eight years. Yeah, like eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, the, the like love story, meet the first day you get, you know, you arrive in New York and like run into each other and like see how, end up having friends of friends and both of you ask those friends like, who's that person? And then are like inseparable and become best friends and whirlwind romance and like all the things, you know, and I, and I like to be really clear about that because a lot of times when people hear divorce stories, they're like, it was terrible and he must've been horrible. And I'm like, no, he's a lovely human. Mm-hmm. He's a lovely wonderful human remarried to what seems to be a lovely woman. They have a kid. I'm super happy for them. Like I want the best for him. And he just wasn't right for me. Mm -hmm. Wasn't right for the person that I was, that I had become and that I had chosen I wanted to be. So, um, and what I mean by that is I realized very quickly, you know, post getting married that supporting him and being the wife that he needed me to be meant always playing small, meant making myself smaller to make him bigger. You know, it meant putting myself second. It meant 
you know, not, not compromising in like a reciprocal way, like you do in relationships. It just kind of always meant giving up things and sacrificing and, and putting him first. Um, and, and really honestly, the way that I look at it now is like dishonoring myself. And that was no fault of his, you know, he's, he has his own social conditioning. So he's going to show up in the world that he is going to, but I also had been so deeply conditioned by, whiteness by the patriarchy by what it meant to be like a wife and a and a and a daughter and a potential you know for mother down the line and all of those things that like I was even just doing it to myself because I was so deeply colonized mm-hmm. we all are right we all swim in the waters of white supremacist heteronormative you know cisgendered patriarchy mm-hmm. oh that's a mouthful anyways so make the decision to get the divorce and you know did the thing of just like my peace is far more important so I'm walking away from everything So I left, you know, I literally put all my shit in my car and like pods to ship across the country. I had my godbrother fly out from, we were living in St. Louis at the time, from Oakland to St. Louis, picked him up at the airport and just got on the road. He was like, I didn't even get to see the arch. I was like, I'll bring you back. We got to go. I don't care. (laughs) You know, and, and what I could fit in my car and a pod is all I took. I left behind, behind the house, the businesses, you know, furniture and the art and like all the things. I wanted no part, no alimony. Like it was the, the only, the only reason the divorce took so long is because courts take time. Like there was no arguing, no fighting, nothing. It was like, cool, you're taking this. I'm taking this. You have this. We're going to do this. Cool. Bye. Mm-hmm. Wish you the best. Um, and in that moment, I had to make a decision. What version of my life path did I want to venture down? Did I want to venture down? It's like the choose your own adventure. And I was like at the crossroads. So on one side, I had the path that said, oh, now you're a divorcee before 30. You know, like that's going to mean something about you. And oh God, thank God you don't have children. And like, just put your life back together as quickly as possible to avoid like people's judgment or shame or any of those other things. Like I felt very much like the broken Fabergé egg that was just like, okay, let's glue this back together as quickly as possible. Who cares if there's like small cracks, you know, that people can't see that the water can get through. Like it looks good. That was one path. And then the other path was like, nah, at hell nah. Like, no, rebuild the Fabergé egg from scratch. What do you need? What resources do you need? What tools do you need? What skill sets do you need to acquire to be able to, you know, create a Fabergé egg and then paint it and and all of those things. And so I, I use that, you know, analogy because for me, that's really what it was. I had to make the decision of like really taking the time to, heal, to decolonize, to unpack so much so that instead of being, so instead of like looking shiny and polished and okay, like really being okay. And so for me, I chose the second path and I call it my, my rise of the Phoenix moment. Cause I like legit burned my whole life down my whole life as I knew it. And as I was building it, I was just like, light that bitch on fire. I gotta go by like, <laughs> to the ground. Right. It was decimated. And I spent like a good three years rebuilding. And I don't just mean rebuilding in terms of like going to therapy to heal. I meant like like deep decolonizing, really unpacking my social conditioning. Because I think this is a really important key. People see me now and they're like, you say the thing and you're bold, you're unapologetic and you're so authentically yourself and you don't code switch and you don't placate whiteness and da, 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 da. That's always been inside of me, but that doesn't mean that I didn't constantly have to battle and make decisions really rooted in like, is this safe? Am I going to get fired? 
Am I emotionally or physically safe? How is this going to negatively impact me? Is this going to negatively impact relationships? Like I was not exempt from having to navigate this world just like everybody else. So in that rise of the Phoenix, you know, kind of pivotal moment in my life, that's the decision I made. I knew there was something inside of me that said that it wasn't just about the divorce. It wasn't just about like who I was showing up as in the marriage. It was, this is a reflection of how I'm showing up and engaging with the world because this is how I have been taught I am supposed to, right? The shoulds and the woulds and the have tos. And I said, fuck that. And I started doing some really, really deep, hard work. Um, and it took a, a, it took a long time, right? And it meant like, not going back to a corporate job. So being, you know, which also like, to be clear, even that was like, I had to work on my own like pride and ego around it because I come from like, I worked in music, I worked in sports, I worked in nonprofit. I've started four businesses prior to the divorce. You know, I'm like boss babe in the office, like get shit done. Always like, I have my shit together, blah, 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 blah. And now it's like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm gonna go back to like literally teaching in schools and like teaching fitness classes so that I can give myself the spaciousness to like focus on myself and heal and not have to constantly be faced with kind of like corporate whiteness and and all of those things. People were like, you're doing what? And I was like, yeah, and I'm so happy. Like, let me tell you how happy I am, right? Which was super important. But that, like, that's the catalyst for me. It was like that rise of the Phoenix moment and lots of decisions, but ultimately choosing myself and then saying, okay, self, if this is what you're choosing and you're really committing to yourself, what do you need to make that happen? What do you need to become the version of yourself that you want to be and that you're allowing yourself to be? Cool. Now it's going to be hard. Go get it. Mm -hmm. Can I pause you there for a sec? I'm curious about what the moment was where you're ready to execute this decision. Like you are ending your marriage. You are getting a divorce. Do you remember that moment or what it was that was like, now? Uh, yeah, actually I do very, very critically, like, like as if it was yesterday. Uh So I have always been the type of woman that has said, I love children. I think they're the most precious members of society. They are actually the most marginalized, right? Because they hold all the other marginalized identities. Plus legally we say your voice doesn't matter. Right. And then like our culture of parenting is just like all the things. Um, I come from an education background, so I love kids. But I've always said, I don't want to be defined by motherhood. I want to be a full human first, a full woman first, a full all the other things first. And then when I'm truly ready for motherhood, when I'm truly ready to put that identity on, I want to have kids. And so I always knew there were things I wanted to accomplish and do and discover about myself before I I became a mother. And again, that's just me, right? Like everyone has their own journey and their own path. I've also, even marriage, I was like, I get married, don't get married, like forever partner, whatever. Like I I was never the girl that like played, you know, wedding. Like that was not my thing. But so similarly with kids, it was like, I have to do these things first before I put on, you know, the, the banner of mother. And also if I don't have kids ever, like I'm okay with that too. Like I'm gonna be a dope ass auntie or like maybe I adopt or, you know, foster, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he knew that. And also anybody that knows me and has known me since I've come out of the womb knows pretty clearly that again, fundamentally, even though I've evolved and changed and decolonized, like to the core of who I am, I have always been this person. (laughs) So when I told you when we met, when I was like 23, that like, this is how I view parenting and motherhood and all these other things, like there was no, maybe I can just change her. 
you know, there was a lot of like all the playing small and this, that, the other. And then the pivotal moment was when he basically, well, for the lack of a, you know, time, we'll call it an ultimatum. It was like, we need to have children now or else. And I said, well, first of all, sir, that's not how um, the female body works. You can't just be like, boop, like we're having babies. So you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. One, two, like, let's talk about autonomy and like consent and sovereignty and like, you know, like just minor little details. Mm -hmm. Three, remember I had constantly been putting him first because I was, you know, it's like, that's, that's what a wife does. A wife like holds down the fort and like puts the husband first and then puts the whole family first and da, 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 da. And so there was this moment when it was like babies or die, literally. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh, hell no. Mm -hmm. Like that was the thing that was like too far where it was like, I am not going to put your desire to have children over everything that I want because of all of the ways that it impacts us as women Mm -hmm. or as womb having people, right? Actually carrying a child, what that does to your body, energy levels, running businesses simultaneously, right? Like all of these other things, breastfeeding, who gets up with the baby when it needs to eat at two o'clock in the morning? Not you, sir. You can't breastfeed, right? Like, (laughs) come on. So that was the pivotal moment for me. It was like, one, this is a thing that I cannot, I can't prioritize your desire for children over what that means for me and how that impacts me, one. And two, it signaled very clearly to me that, there was something that he had gotten so used to constantly being put first and prioritized over my own needs. And that very like cisgendered heteronormative patriarchal version, right? Like socialization around marriage. Like this man who was asking me, this is not the man that I married. And so it's almost like one of my aunts told me a really, really long time ago, I was in high school. She was like, don't ever tell a partner what you will or won't do unless you are going to or are not going to do it simultaneously. Don't ever basically continuously let behavior slide because you're teaching people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. And so that's what had happened. I had taught him how he could treat me. Mm -hmm. And like, I have to take ownership for that. Yeah. Right. But that was the pivotal moment. It was like, yeah, no, mm -mm. I'm at this point. I was 27 when this conversation started. I'm 27 years old. I had always said when I'm like 32, 33, I would be super down to start having kids, which now I'm 35. And I look back at when I was 32, 33, and I was like, where is my forever base so I can have a baby? Like I am ready, (laughs) right? That was like, I know myself. And so, but that was, that was the critical moment. So you went from patterning of ultimately dishonoring yourself right and putting Mm -hmm. putting him first for so many things playing small so in the transition from dishonoring wheeze to honoring Mm -hmm. wheeze what were those Mm -hmm. changes and how did you start honoring yourself first yeah so people have heard me say no is a full sentence like that's my favorite thing to say and that was the very first thing that I did right so I like give myself the space go back to California where I'm from uh, you know, basically I'm like, mom, dad, I'm coming home. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Come on. Uh, you know, like, thankfully I have like really cool parents in that way. And I started like by giving myself permission and it was literally permission to not do anything that I don't want to do. And that was all, that was all I did for myself. And that was my mantra. And it was written everywhere. It was written in lipstick on a mirror. It was written in my phone, in a note, like it was written everywhere. No is a full sentence. Meaning, I don't owe anyone an explanation. 
I don't owe anyone a validation. Nobody has to understand it. No, period, a full sentence. And that was it. That's all I started with. And I did that because, again, this idea of spaciousness, right? Like creating the space to like become the thing, right? Or become the version of ourself. I knew that if my biggest thing was dishonoring myself and constantly like essentially like not upholding my own boundaries and like not, you know, kind of like advocating for myself in those ways that I had to make it as easy and like fail, like almost like a, like a fail safe for myself mm-hmm. of like, okay, if I know this is how I'm showing up, what do I need to kind of like counteract that? Permission to say no and like not explain myself, not never to anybody. Um, and then I, I will say, because this is actually the reason that I started my program reclaim, which is specifically for melanated folks, socialized female. Um, it was really, really, really difficult for me to find the resources necessary, both in terms of like healing, decolonizing, decentering whiteness therapy that actually honored one my marginalized identities in a way that didn't gaslight them, that didn't erase them, that didn't do all the things that whiteness does. Mm-hmm. And two, also didn't put themselves in like a savior position of like, okay, no, there's there's two flip sides. It's either like, we're not going to acknowledge it at all, or we're going to acknowledge it, but like, we're here to save you. You're welcome. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really important for me to name because a lot of folks will be like, oh, so yeah, you just like found a therapist and then you like took some, you know, courses or whatever. And like, it would no, 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 no. Like I had to find various mentors. I had to go through programs and therapy and find like healing guides that I knew were not exactly what I needed and were not going to have the skill set that I needed and were not fully decolonized or dismantled in their own right. But I wanted this so badly for myself that I put myself in it knowing that I was going to, and this is exhausting. This is not just my experience. This is the experience of any marginalized person, right? Specifically melanated folks, specifically melanated women, femmes, and non-binary folks to have to enter into spaces and say, I'm going to put on armor. This is a place where I'm supposed to be able to be vulnerable and take off my armor and like, you know, just shed it all. But I still have to carry a part of my armor with me so that I can take the good, the nuggets that I need and leave that which dishonors me, doesn't recognize me, erases me or gaslights me. So it also probably took me much longer than it should. (laughs) But again, it's one of the things that inspired me. It was like, it was that moment of aha of like, I kind of assumed that someone else had already created the space to do it because what's the saying? Like coaches, coach like like that's why they don't play or whatever right like I could always do it for other people I had always I'd been doing it for other people through like mentorship the nonprofits that I started all these other things but when I looked for it for for myself I was like wait this is actually not a thing like no one's created these spaces (laughs) this is absurd so then it's like oh well I guess I got to do it (laughs) but yeah it was a process it was a process so mm-hmm. it was like almost all I can say, like it was a process. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I can like make it make sense, you know, but it was a, a multi-pronged approach <laughs> that yeah. that really required me hunting out, whether it's guides or tools or like certified professionals that were going to meet the needs that I, or meet the, meet the requirements that I knew I needed in, in this journey. Right. I want to fast forward a bit because, and I pulled this yeah. quote right from your website. So I'm going to read it. You have nothing to be worried about. Okay. It says it is my mission to hold the torch and lead folks on their decolonization and anti-racism journey. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that for us? Mm-hmm. 
That's actually a, a perfect question to like segue off of everything I just said. You did, I don't even know if you know how great that was. <laughs> One of the things, the biggest thing that I realized, so I always tell people like, I am not a coach. I very publicly say that I hate the entire coaching industry. It is one of the most deeply, just all versions of mainstream problematicness exist in the coaching industry because it's completely unregulated. Um, You have a lot of like toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing, just like all the things. So that's the first thing. So I want to name that because that's why I specifically tell people like I am a compassionate provocateur and I am a guide. My role in working with folks is to hold a light for them and to show them their own path of possibilities because I can't change people, but I can show people their options. I can show people the paths. I can also guide people down that path to make it less scary because I've done it. Mm -hmm. I've done it myself. So I know where the trees are falling. I know where the quicksand is. I know where the alligators and the scary monsters are. Mm -hmm. And when we get there, I'm not going to carry you through it. I'm not going to fight off the monsters for you. I'm not going to cut down the trees that are in our way, but I will show you like where to put your foot. You will acquire the tools along the journey before you get to the scary monster so that you can defeat the scary monster yourself, knowing that there's someone right next to you. Mm -hmm. That if you really need that support and you need that help, they're going to help you fight them too, right? My goal has literally always been, how do I light the path for people to walk it themselves so that they can empower themselves? Because I can't empower folks. I also can't liberate folks. But folks can liberate themselves. And by way of their own liberation, they can liberate other folks by showing them through modeled behavior, through kindness, through humanity, through self-empowerment. They can show them that there's another path of possibilities as well. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say it's my mission is like, I, you know, I've kind of alluded to this throughout. I really came out of the womb as this version of myself. Like if you talk to my parents, they're like, (sighs) like as soon as I could talk, (laughs) I was like, I was who I am. I've always been very opinionated. I am very blessed to have grown up in the Bay Area. So we have a strong history, right? The Panthers, everyone knows who the Black Panthers are. So we have a strong history of, you know, liberation, of freedom fighting, of equity, of justice, and really fighting for the marginalized. Um, I have parents who very young educated me as to the realities of whiteness, of white supremacy, of colonization, the the history of the African continent, the African diaspora, you know, my own ancestry. And so I was like, like real power to the people as an infant, like very young. I've always been very much that person. And as I got older, I acquired, you know, obviously language and skill set and degrees in sociology and other things that would help me craft my understanding of the world and, and how to explain things and did my own kind of like trauma. In, well, now I say healing centered instead of trauma informed, but like healing centered work. And so this has truly always been my mission. This has always been my purpose. I have always walked this path in some way, shape or form, no matter what else I was doing in my life. I truly believe that if we can quiet the noise of the outside world of all of the socialization of the woods and the shoulds and the supposed tos and the expectations, and we can find our North Star within ourselves, that we can very loudly hear what our purpose is Mm -hmm. and what also then simultaneously brings us joy in how we show up in the world. And for me, it has always been this. Mm -hmm. I have always been on a path of holding a torch to liberation in one way or another. Mm -hmm. 
And the other reason that I say it like that is because a lot of people just hear anti-racism and they're like, oh, this is just about race. White supremacy exists in everything that we do. So I very explicitly tell people I am an anti-racism, anti-oppression because we cannot ignore marginalization of the LGBTQIA community, of immigrants, of, you know, folks that have English as a second language, of the disabled, of fat shaming, of all of these other things, right? It's about all of it as it, because intersectionality is important. And then the piece around decolonization, because we all swim in the waters of white supremacy. And so it's so deeply embedded inside of every single one of us that we have to do this work holistically. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about like, let me make sure that I like dismantle my whiteness or dismantle my relationship to whiteness if I'm melanated. It's really about like, how do I empower myself? How do I show up in the world as my most authentic self? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that everything I'm doing is values aligned? How do I even figure out what my values are when I quiet the noise? How do I figure out what my purpose is? How do I figure out who I am in this world if I strip off all the social conditioning? And then how do I create what I call my Dora the Explorer backpack so that when I show up in the world or when I'm outside in the world, I can always show up as that version of myself unapologetically because no is a full sentence. That's literally a mic yeah. drop, Waze. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> okay. Wow. So I can imagine that everyone listening is like, where do I find weeds online? And I mm -hmm. would like you to share that now. And then I've got three safe haven questions for you. Cool. And having, uh, let me just give you a bit of a, a shout out here extra, because having taken some of your courses, the culture of whiteness uh, in particular back in the spring, early, early yeah. summer. Mm -hmm. So I loved what you said about how you're a guide and that you help people place their feet where they need to walk. Because mm -hmm. ultimately what I respected so much about what you had delivered in the Culture of Whiteness course was that when people asked questions that were so blatantly obvious, they could Google it or they could do the research on their, on their own. I loved that you protected your time and energy that way. Like honestly, Thank mad you. respect for that because <laughs> it's you. something that you don't need to tell people to do. You are showing them what they can do to help themselves. So yeah, yeah to anyone listening... This is where you follow Weez. <laughs> yeah. So according to Weez on all platforms that I exist on, which at this point are just um, Instagram and Twitter, I've been banned from Facebook. I got banned in June, June 3rd. Uh, I got what I call ASCA banned. And so I just deleted it. Facebook is this can... based on the digital erasure that you were experiencing correct. and are still experiencing? Yes, correct. Yes. Can you give us a quick Coles notes on that? Yeah, really simple. Every single social media platform is written by and for cishet white folks. And so if you show up on social media using any sort of languaging that has the audacity to challenge heteronormative whiteness, you are flagged as being against community guidelines. And if you get flagged enough, then the, both the AI, it's literally embedded into the AI, but also the humans who then review it mm -hmm. are also following guidelines that match the AI. So you are just seen as across the board a problem mm -hmm. and constantly, quote unquote, against community guidelines. And so then you get flagged enough times, you just get your account taken down. Mm -hmm. So I got full banned. Actually, BuzzFeed wrote an article about me because it was so blatant and so bad. Wow. It's a link in my bio in, on Instagram. Y'all are welcome to go read it. But so I got banned June 3rd. And then of course, after articles came out and started talking about it, they were like, oh no, it was an accident. Little do they know, they don't know Wheeze. And so I have all the receipts because I do live in the Bay and I have several friends that work at Facebook who all were like internally like, what happened with this account? What happened with this account? What happened with this account? And I have every receipt of all, like Facebook is full of shit. We'll just put it that way. 
Mark Zuckerberg is, I mean, he, he, I call him the, you know, if, if Trump is a white supremacist in chief, he is his like digital uh, maestro. That's mm. how I basically frame it. Yeah. And the lives that are infiltrated as well. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know that's, that's frustrating when you're just trying to tune in and watch some of your content and it freezes and stops yeah. and you're kicked off and mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, I can't invite other people on yeah. or then the screen goes blank or my sound goes out. And it's like, really? Oh, <laughs> this is this just happens to happen to my account all the time. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, or like people try to view it afterwards and it's just the like black screen, mm-hmm. the flex like in the 80s when the TV would go off yeah. and it's just like black <laughs> and white fuzz like that's on purpose. OK, yeah. cool. Yes, I understand that Instagram and Facebook are the same, which is why if you go to my Instagram, according to Weez, I will be there as much as I can be. However, I am between shadow banning and digital erasure. It's starting to become just like emotionally taxing. Mm -hmm. So sign up for my newsletter because I will also be doing free education and content at least bi-monthly via email. And then there's a bunch of other ways there for people to like connect and learn at all different price points. I love that you're going to still get that content out no matter what. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to stop me. (laughs) Okay. I've got my three safe haven style questions for you. You ready? Okay. Let's go. Yes. What are you most proud of? Oh, I hate this question. (laughs) (laughs) People ask me all the time. It's so hard because there's so many, honestly, there's, when I look back, even just at the last, like since my rise of the Phoenix moment, I am so proud of myself for being the version of myself that I was before I committed to my own humanity and my own authenticity, liberation and empowerment. And like at 35 now, right? So like six, seven, seven years later, like looking at the girl that I was and looking at where I am now, I have so much love for that version of myself, obviously, right? Because I do it all with kindness and compassion. But I'm so proud of the person that I am now. Mm. The flip side of that, what I'm also very proud of, I'm really proud of, this is going to sound wild, but the community that I've built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm deeply proud of just the amazing humans that I've been able to connect with because of the version of myself that I am now. I mean, even being able to be here with you, mm-hmm. right? Like this is a testament to how I show up in the world and how I build community and how I get to connect with so many amazing people that even in our brief interactions, like enrich my life in some sort of way. Cause it's not just about, I don't look at it as like, Oh, I'm enriching your lives or like whatever. Like I get something from, from every single person that I even get to like guide through a process or like touch in some sort of way, whether it's an IG video or listening to this podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I truly believe in like energetic frequencies and, you know, what you give out to the world is what you get back. And so I'm really, really proud of the, just this phenomenal collective community that I've been able to build Mm -hmm. in the process. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a really hard question for me it to is, It is hard, but you just slammed it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what would you like to be known for? This is a question I ask people on my podcast. <gasps> and I kid you not, I'm always like, I hope nobody ever asks me this question. <laughs> <laughs> Tables of <laughs> turned, Louise. <laughs> yes, uh, Amanda, I love it. Um, no, I I would love to be known for like my heart and the way that I have been of service to those who have needed it most. Mm -hmm. If my legacy that I leave behind is one of community, compassion, and kindness. And and I want to be clear, like, that comes with a fierce love 
right? That's not this, that's like true. You know what? When we're recording this just after MLK's day in, in the way that MLK really, truly authentically talked about it. Like the love that was like, if you want peace and love that doesn't include justice, I'm burning this whole bitch down. Mm-hmm. So like that fierce love that comes with like accountability for others, accountability for self, advocacy for others, advocacy for self. That's what I want to be remembered as. Mm. Yeah, that's what I want to be known for. I love it. And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? Mm. So the ancestors just like tapped into my heart and they are telling somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who, but this is what it is. You are not too much. The right people will have hands big enough to hold you. Never dim your light for others who just can't find the right sunglasses. Yeah. That, I'm almost speechless. Like, and that doesn't happen very often. That was so beautiful. Thank you. That needs to be on, like framed on my wall. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Weez, I think that you, you are such a light. You bring so much value to the community that you've created. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love doing these. So this is great. I love it. Louise, thank you so much for your time and for sharing with me on the safe haven. Your time means so much to me and I love everything you're doing. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform and I'm committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. Tell us your biggest takeaways and what you plan to do next. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so that we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. If today is the start of your journey into the depths of anti-racism, learning and unlearning old ways, Be kind to yourself. Try not to feel burdened by shame or guilt. Keep moving. Keep growing. Keep leading with love. And I will talk to you next week.